just say his name, Jesus, the name that is above all names. The name, the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus, that you are Lord. God, you are an awesome God. You reign from heaven above, and we rejoice in you today. We rejoice in your victory in your triumphal procession, the scripture says. We love you and we serve you. And God, let your Holy Spirit be in us today and guide us and lead us. Let your Holy Spirit take control of everything that's said and done from the fellowship to the scriptures to our singing. Let us walk out of here saying, wow, God, you're a great God. Come and see, and the Bible says, and taste and know that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. We are studying chapter by chapter. We're going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. So if you can, turn to um, Philippians chapter 1. We, we, we divided Philippians chapter 1 into, I divided it into three messages. So today is part 2, and we're looking at verses uh, 12 through 21. But the thing, as I was preparing for my message this morning, the thing that was sticking out to me, was, was this. The question I wanted to open my message with this morning is, what is the driving force in your life? What keeps you going? What revs, what revs your motor? Let's look at a couple of people and let's talk about what's the driving force in their life. What's the driving force in Tom Brady's life? If you don't know by now, it seems like every single year he's in the playoffs with the Patriots. It seems like... Uh, it, Tom Brady and the Vince Lombardi trophy, they just go hand in hand. It seems like at times. Now, I know the Eagles won and a couple other teams have won. But the driving force in Tom Brady's life is the Vince Lombardi and going to the Super Bowl. How about college students? How about down here at the University of South Carolina? What do you, you think is the driving force behind all those college students? And maybe you're here this morning and you're in college. What's the driving force? They want that piece of paper that says, I have graduated, and, and so they should. It's a huge accomplishment, but the driving force behind every college student is, I'm here to get a degree. Amen? I hear a couple claps. I know we got some college students in here. On any given day, about 20 miles down the road of I-77 at Fort Jackson, we have 7,000 soldiers going through basic training. What do you think their driving force is? <laughs> their driving force is, is, Lord, just help me make it to, to, to the end. Let me just fit. Actually, actually, they got two driving forces. The, a, a soldier in basic training, his driving force first is just to finish. And that's, the, that's what he's looking forward. But behind every soldier is a drill sergeant with the alligator chomping down on him. But, uh, yeah, that's the driving force of a soldier. What, now, okay, we've talked about those. Let's talk about, let's talk about you this morning. What is your driving force? What is your driving force? I hope as a believer, as a Christian, thanks, Zane. I hope that your driving force is your relationship with God. Is your relationship with the Lord Jesus. I hope the thing that drives you is the gospel. Is the gospel. Because the Apostle Paul who the Holy Spirit used to write the book of Philippians, 
if you don't know it. He's in prison as he writes this epistle. He's in, he's in a jail cell. He's under house arrest. And the thing that's keeping Paul going is his faith in Jesus Christ, is the gospel. You know, we, we like to praise the Lord when times are good. And we like to shout hallelujah. But how about when times are tough? How about when times are difficult? Where do we turn to? Guys, that's where we dig down deep in difficult and trying times and things aren't going the way we, that we want them to. And we say, God, I trust in you. You are the source of my strength. You are my shield. You are the one that lifts me up. And you know that's what Paul had to be saying in this, in, in, in incarceration. He's the Apostle Paul. Do you know he spent four years We'll talk about it a little bit more in a little bit when I get to the message. But he spent four years in jail. He spent two years in, um, incarcerated in Caesarea and two years in Rome for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for his faith. But it was the, his faith in Christ that kept him going. So here, let's set it up. We're looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. And I've broken this down into two sections. Verses um, 12 through 17 is the Apostle Paul's circumstances. He's going to describe what's going on and what's happening to him there in Rome as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. And then in verse 18 through 21, he's going to give us his passion. He's going to give us what the force that keeps him going, what keeps him pressing forward, what keeps his head up in this difficult situation. We know that after this house arrest, he was freed for a short period of time. But then he goes back and is incarcerated in the maritime prison where it gets even worse. This is the first of two imprisonments for Paul where he writes this. But in the second imprisonment, he loses his head. Something outside the realm of time and space, outside of this world, was keeping him going. And I wanted to keep you going this morning. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at it now, verse by verse, I pray that you just encourage us, Lord. Fill us with fire. Fill us with passion. Fill us with desire in our pursuit of, of, of living our life for you. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Let's read verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. And to everyone else. So the first thing we have here that Paul is, is talking about in the text, he's talking about his circumstances. And as I kind of mentioned a while ago, his circumstances was he was in prison. He was in prison. He was, he was chained. He, he was in chains. He was possibly in his third. He spent two years in Caesarea. They moved him to Rome. He's put under house arrest. This is actually what I call, this is what I call Acts 29. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, there's only 28 chapters. And, the, and chapter 28 of Acts ends with Paul going into this house arrest. But what, what's, he, what's he in prison for? Look at verse 13. He says, so that my imprisonment in the, the cause of Christ. Paul was in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the apostle Paul came back from his third missionary journey. He came to Jerusalem. The religious leaders didn't like it. They didn't like the gospel. Their goal was, this, we are going to stomp this. We're going to put this to an end. So they arrested him. They brought him into like a religious tribunal. But they couldn't hold him. 
So they go to Felix and Festus, and they have him arrested, and he's placed at Caesarea for two years awaiting trial um, to be seen on the charges they had against him. During that time frame, he stood before Festus, he stood before Felix, King Agrippa came and visited with him. And finally, Paul says, listen, y'all are not doing nothing. I am a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. And Festus says, I'm sorry, excuse me, Felix says, you, you appear to Caesar, fine, you're going to, you're going to see Caesar. So they put him on a ship. And, that's, and if you go back and read the book of Acts, it was a rough, rough going, uh, rough seas. He hits the island of Malta. He gets bitten by a viper. But finally, they get him to Rome, and now he's incarcerated for two more years. Now, I don't know about you, but in, in, in the, in the, in, to, my, to my mind, to the carnal mind of those around Paul, this would seem like a failure. Dude, you're in jail. How are you going to preach the gospel in jail? Paul's like, mm-mm, this was God's plan. If anybody came in contact with him, I'm the apostle Paul, but I'm, go- I'm, I'm going to Rome, I'm going to be in jail, but this is God's plan. While Paul was in Jerusalem, Jesus told Paul this in Acts 23, 11. It says, Jesus came to Paul, says he stood by his side, and he says, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So it was God's plan. It, it, was, um, it was God's plan for him to go there. And look down at, look at verse 12. He says, uh, he says, my circumstance, in verse 12, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul was driven by the gospel. How, was, um, how, was his, uh, how, did it turn, how did this turn out for the greater progress of the gospel, you may ask? Two reasons. Number one, he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. He says there um, throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard, they were uh, skillful soldiers that Caesar used for special missions. They guarded Caesar's palace, and, and he used them for special mis- missions. And they would come in, and they would guard Paul. And every guard that came in, Paul would preach the gospel to the Praetorian Guard. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, we, we see what other places in Scripture where he was chained to them. They couldn't get away. So Paul is chained to a, to, a, to a guard. Guess what, buddy? Guess what you're fixing to hear? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about the gospel. So he got to preach the gospel. The second thing, the second way that God used Paul in this imprisonment is he wrote four of the greatest epistles in the Bible. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote those great letters that we get to study today. God was using Paul supernaturally. He was taking, God was taking Christianity and the gospel to the capital of the Roman world. Amen? This is uh, roughly 55, 60 A.D. 250 years later, um, the Roman emperor will be won over to Christ, and Christianity will become the official religion of the Roman Empire. Amen? Amen. God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. He wasn't making no mistakes. He was sovereign. But here's the thing. He he alludes to this in each epistle. He talks about being in chains. But you wouldn't know it just by reading through the text. You wouldn't know that he was in chains. He uses the word joy and rejoicing 16 times alone in the book of Philippians. 
What does this teach us? What does this tell us? Today in 20, 2019, I was going to say 2018, in 2019, what, it tells us this, take our eyes off our circumstances. Take our eyes off our circumstances and put them on the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. Times are trying. You're a believer. You're like, I believe in Christ, and I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm born again, but things aren't going well. Things are going very rough. My friend, just take your eyes off your circumstance and say, Lord Jesus, I put my eyes on you. I put my eyes on you. I believe that's what Paul did. I believe that's what Paul did in the situation. Let's continue. Verse verses, uh, 14. Verse 14. And that he says, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul did not see himself chained to Rome. He saw Rome chained to him. And he was there to bring the gospel. Paul's boldness inspired others. We don't see no whining. We don't see no complaining in Paul's voice. We just like, hey, man, life is, life is a lemon. I'm going to make lemonade. I'm going I'm to preach the gospel. I'm going to share it with people. And we need to understand that as Christians, our witness and how we carry out our Christian life, it affects others. It either affects them negatively or positively. We want, my deepest desire, and I hope your deepest desire, as you serve the Lord and you serve Christ, that your walk inspires others to do the same, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in the Word, to be a witness, to shine the truth and grace of Jesus Christ to other people. That's what we should be doing. In um, roughly 60 A.D., one man, one man, the Apostle Paul, goes to Rome with one passion, and that passion is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, as I said a while ago, it spread to the Praetorian Guard, it spread to the people who came and visited, and 250 years later, Christianity becomes the official religion. What, what, what man, the religious folks, was using to stomp out Christianity God uses it to explode because the gospel produces fruit everywhere it goes. You know, it's not dependent on us. All we do is sow the seed. We teach the word and we share the gospel. And then God works. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because of one man's Holy Spirit-led passion, Paul, Christianity spreads. Verse 15, he says, some to be sure. Now, he's got, he's got a little issue going on here. You know, he's, he's sharing the gospel, but he's in a cell, he, it, but, and he's watching these people that he's discipling and making. He needs, he's got an issue. Let's see if you see it in verses um, 15 through 17. But it doesn't, it doesn't overwhelm or, or concern him, as he'll allude to later on. Verse 15, he said, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So here we have the Apostle Paul. He's there in Rome. He's in prison, and he's preaching the gospel. He's making disciples. In his chains, they come in, they're coming. Uh, other scripture tells us that he was allowed to have visitors. He'd make disciples. He was making disciples of the Praetorian Guard. But he has an issue with two types of people here. Uh, one of them is some of the people here are preaching Christ from, it says in there, a goodwill, from love, 
and a pure motive, those are good. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to be as Christians. That, that needs to be the heart behind our preaching. But he says here, some preach Christ from, this is not good, from, uh, in verse 15, from envy, strife, and selfish ambition. My friend, it matters then, it matters today. The heart behind our ministry is of the utmost importance. Amen? The, you know, as, you, as you, you feel called to ministry, you want to witness to someone, you want to do ministry, your heart is important. You need to make sure your heart is right before the Lord. You need to make sure that you're not trying to make a name for yourself. There's only one name that, that we want to make a name for, and that's Christ Jesus. You know, integrity. You know, integrity is, is super in, in today's world. Integrity is important behind ministry. Our integrity, we cannot, we have to be walking out in our everyday life what we are preaching on Sundays, what we are teaching in the Bible studies, and what we're doing in fellowship. Our life and our, our life and how we live, it matters to God. It matters to God. And that's part of being used by the Lord is that first our heart is right, our obedience is there, and then we um, minister to others. And we do it from, the scripture tells us this morning, as, as you do ministry, Please, make sure you do it from a good will, from love, and most importantly there, a pure motive. Our, pure, our, our motive in ministry is serving Christ. That's why, that's why I stand before you this morning, to represent him and to teach his word. And hopefully this word gets into your heart. And you go home and you're like, oh man, that was good. And the Lord uses it. What we don't want is envy, strife, and selfish ambition. Question for every person who desires to be used of God this morning who do you want people to see who do you want people to see that's that's the big question I think that we would summarize what Paul is saying here who do you want people to see do you want people to see Jesus or do you want people to see yourself well there ain't nothing good here it's all there amen so let's 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 make it about Christ let's make it about seeing him verse 18 um okay I've chosen verse 18 this morning is I'm gonna um sometimes we take a a broad look at scripture, but we're going to zoom in at verse 18. I want to talk about each phrase in verse 18 because this is a very powerful verse because here it is. Uh, in verse 17, verses 12 through 17, Paul was talking about his circumstances. In verse 18, he makes a shift. And now we see his situation. He's in prison. He's making disciples. Now we're going to see his heart, his passion. Let's take a look at it. Verse 18. First, he starts off with a question there. He says, what then? What then? In other words, what is the goal? What is, Paul's saying here, what is the goal? What is the uh, mission? What is the objective? What's the, what's the, what's the grand purpose of it all? He, he answers it in the very next verse. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And he uses this phrase, I really had to do some studying this week, he says, whether in pretense or in truth. What does that word pretense mean? That word pretense means color. It means um, disguise. It means things aren't completely right, but we're doing our very best, is what he's saying there. 
And, and what Paul is saying here, when he uses this phrase in every way, <clears throat> whether pretense or in truth, he's saying, I don't care how you do it, just do it. Just do it. Just make it happen. That, that's a very famous slogan in the military that a first sergeant will tell a soldier. Listen, go make it happen. Huh? That's what they say. Go make it happen. And that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. And he's saying, guys, I don't care how you do it, just go do it. Do whatever it takes to make disciples. Do whatever it takes to reach out to people. Whether you got to go visit them in the hospital or go to their house, do whatever it takes to present to them Christ. Make it happen. And here it is, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, this is what he wants to happen. That Christ is proclaimed, verse 18 says. Christ is proclaimed. He's talking about a, a passionate spread for the gospel. Uh, he wanted others to know who Jesus was. Who was here Wednesday night? By show of hands. We had a missionary come Wednesday night, Katie, and she spoke, and it was electric. It was awesome to hear her passion. She, she, she was a, um, a missionary nurse to uh, North Africa and Europe, and man, she was, she was on fire. She had a passion. She said, there's one thing, you know, we're going over there, we're taking care of babies, and we're helping mamas, but ultimately, our ultimate goal is we want to pro proclaim Christ. And she was telling us about some supernatural healings and all these things that were taking place. But you could sense her heart was there. And she was there to proclaim Christ. So he says in verse 18, he says uh, the last part of the phrase. And in this, here it is, guys. He says, I rejoice. I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul is pinning this, yes, I will rejoice, with two chains hanging from his wrist, chained between two guards. He's saying, I will rejoice. He's not complaining. So Paul's first passion, in light of his circumstances, he says, I want Christ proclaimed. And that should be ours, too. That should be, that should be our, our, our heart cry, is that Christ is proclaimed in the world and spreading the gospel. Verse 19, continuing, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul's in prison, but guess what? he got faith. He's got faith, and he's got confidence. And he's got faith and confidence in three things in that verse that Paul's saying. The first thing he has faith and confidence is, is deliverance. God will deliver me. And we can have that same confidence, that God will deliver me. He will see me through. You take the bull by the horns, you Press into your, your relationship with God. You press into the Lord, and he will deliver you. He will take you through. He took Paul through. He'll take you through. Second thing is, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Here's the next one. Through your prayers. He believed in the power of prayer. I praise the Lord, and I completely hold to and believe in the sovereignty of God. He knows the past, the present, the future. He is in control of everything okay but there's some things in life that won't happen unless we pray God answers prayer God responds to his people calling on his name and petitioning him Lord move in this person's life save this person do a supernatural work he responds to prayer Paul's Paul Paul believed it. The scripture teaches it. We believe it. 
For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers in response to their prayers. And he does. And then it says in verse 19, and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He trusted in what the Holy Spirit was going to do in his life. Again, he's taking his eyes off the situation. And he's like, Lord, you got this. Holy Spirit, you're going to do this. And I'm just going to trust in you and yield to you and let the, 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 the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, do his work. That's what gave Paul faith. That's what gave Paul confidence in his deepest, darkest hour of being in prison. That's what, that's what it did. Verse 20, he says uh, here, um, According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be, here it is, here's Paul's second passion, the end of verse 20, will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Paul's second passion was this right here, that Christ says, he says that Christ will be exalted in my body, his personal obedience and doing the right thing and, and living obedient and uh, his, his holiness and his devotion and his, his sanctification. My friends, this morning, how we live matters to God. As believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians, how you live your daily life in the private and in the public, it matters to the Lord. Our speech, our speech matters. The words that come out of our, our mouth matter. They should build people up, not tear people down. They should be wholesome words and not curse words. Our character, our character matters to God. How we live our life, how we treat people. You know, we need to be living according to the word and walking in truth and walking in love and letting people say, man, bud, there's just something different about you. What is it? Well, let me tell you, it's about Jesus. But they should see it in our character. Your character and how you live your life in honesty and integrity, it matters to God. And then, of course, holiness. The Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Our dedication and our commitment to, being, to living holy, dedicated lives to him matters. And, and Paul, um, and don't, don't misunderstand Paul in Scripture. He wasn't this holier-than-thou uh, person. He had issues, and he had struggles. He had to submit his self and his flesh to the Lord. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He disciplined himself. Hey, you're in the battle. You're in the fight. You're wrestling. Don't feel no condemnation, but welcome to the fight. Welcome to the fight. Now we have to discipline ourselves and say, I have to say, David, I'm going to obey God today. And that thing, that sin I'm battling with, I'm struggling with, God, I'm going to bring it to your throne of grace. And I'm going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to please help me. Lord, do it. I receive it. And, 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 and how, we live, <clears throat> how, how we live on the outside is a reflection of the inside. It really is. The, the words we use, the things that we look at, how we live in the physical realm is a reflection of our heart. It's a reflection of our heart. 
and, and, and you know, we don't want to be legalistic. You know, we don't want to, what we want is, is um, the Holy Spirit, and we want grace to come in and change our lives and not begrudgingly force ourselves but say, Lord Jesus, please help me overcome this struggle. Please help me overcome this temptation. And then let me spend time in your word every day. Let me spend time in, your, in prayer. And then let him do his work as we live out um, our holiness and our character. So Paul's first passion here in these, in these final verses that we're looking at this morning is that Christ is proclaimed. He wanted the word to go out for the gospel. His second passion in verse 20 is that, uh, is that Christ will be exalted in my body. Many of your Bibles, um, they separate verses 20 from 21. They kind of like make it in two, different, two separate sections of the scripture, but they really go together nicely. Um, but we'll pick it up there halfway through verse 20, and we'll read through verse 21, and we'll close with that. It says in verse 20, Christ, as I said, will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Do you see it there? To the Apostle Paul, Jesus was everything. Everything. It was his life. It was if he dies. You know, we're going we're to continue our study next Sunday as we get into verses 22. But we're going to talk about what happens at death. What happens when a person breathes their last? And he says, for me to live as Christ. Why does he say this? Look at, at verse 21. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Because the scripture teaches in other places, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you breathe your last breath, as painful as it is, you're going to wake up in glory and see your God face to face. So Paul's like, hey, I'm here on earth. I'm going to serve Christ. I'm going to enjoy Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to live for him. And I'm going to enjoy him. I, he, he's going to be the one that satisfies my soul. He's going to be the one that takes me through this prison. And so what? If they kill me, I'll go home to be with Christ. So Christ had him all the way around. The question I close with you this morning, is Christ everything to you? Is, is he everything? Have, have you found yourself here in time and space and matter on planet Earth and said, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And then you've come to a place where you said, there is a God above in heaven, and there is the Lord Jesus Christ seated at his right hand. I've seen what he's done in the gospel, and I see how he's, he died on the cross for my sins. He, he rose from the grave. He's given you eternal life. He's given you eternal life if you've received him as your Lord and Savior. He's forgiven you of everything and given you a new heart. And in response to that, in response to that, we should be able to say this morning with Paul, Jesus, you are everything. You are everything. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you that we see here in Paul's life that you are everything to him. You are his source. You are his strength. You are his God. 
And Father, I pray for every believer here, Lord, that they'll be challenged today just to make you the treasure, to, to, to just love you and just see you as the one who, who, who fills our hearts, who fills our lives, and, and gives us joy unspeakable in our relationship with you. It's not about religion, but it's about our relationship, and we thank you for that, Father. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would show them. I pray that you would show them their need for your grace and for your truth. With all the heads bowed, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask you if you'd slip your hand up and say, Pastor David, please pray for me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, let this truth transform us and let us leave here today with unspeakable joy in our hearts because we serve you and because you are exalted. And let us leave here with a, with a passion to proclaim your name. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.